broadcasting live from the Winthrop House. You're now listening to the Safe Negro Podcast Show. Welcome, Angan Haseo, to everyone here to the Safe Negro Podcast Show. We are here, myself, Tatiana King, one of the hosts of For All Nerds, along with my co-host. DJ Ben Amin, a.k.a. Dr. Freeman DDS. Okay. <laughs> and not to be outdone, we have the lovely... Portia Patterson Hurst. I, I don't know. I can't think of a good pippy AKA today. Lover okay. of cave dramas. We'll get into that later. Ooh, mm. I love it. Uh, and if you haven't heard, I just said uh, hello to everyone in Korean because this is a, a very Korea-centric episode. We are talking today about the Meet Me in Daegu episode, episode six of Lovecraft Country. Um, just so you know, this episode refers to the Julie Garden film Meet Me in St. Louis. Uh, which is divided into a series of seasonal vignettes and relates around the story of a year in the life of a family. And this episode follows that same motif, um, but it starts in fall of 1949 and ends in the fall winter of 1950. And as I mentioned, it takes place in South Korea. Uh, just to put it up at the top, there are trigger warnings here. Racial epithets galore, gore, extreme brutality, and just for seasoning, tentacle porn. Mm. Or as, as as Ben has discovered, it's also called Tentai. Yes. <laughs> I did my research. Right now I have a browser window open up to tentacle porn. So Oh god, you know, close, these, the breath, close the window. These are the problems that I go through for this show, folks. This yes. is the research. Um I'm gonna before we get too deep, I'm just gonna lay it out there. This was a very difficult episode for me to watch. Mm. Uh for the trigger warnings mentioned thereof. Maybe not so much the racial epithets, but the extreme brutality and the tentacles. It, it, it was very difficult. Um, I, I actually watched behind my fingers a few times. I, I couldn't. It's not my thing. Gore is not my thing, y'all. It's um, not cute. It's just, you know, I don't generally just like don't like blood like that. So I just be like, oh, it's just paint. Take your mind <laughs> out of it. It's paint. No, it's paint. no, no, no. The, the CG is too much. I loved it. Loved it. Loved every second of it. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, you can thank Helen Shaver, who directed this episode, which is also written by Misha Green, Jonathan I. Kidd, and Sonia Winton. Just to go over the basic plot, in this episode, we meet Jia, a.k.a. the Korean Letty, who may as well be a Transformer because she is more than meets the eye. Jia has a problem with her mama, but when she meets Atticus, she realizes there might be another way to get through life that doesn't involve tentacles in various orifices. <laughs> I couldn't even read that with a straight face. <laughs> that was written by Ben, I mean, for sure. Um, wonderful plot synopsis there. Thank uh, you. Uh, much appreciated. And so, yeah, let's get right into it. Um, as mentioned, because this is a Korean-centric, Korea-centric episode, this also involves the year uh, during the, the Korean War. Um, particularly, as we all know, Atticus is a soldier. And when we meet him in early episodes, he has just come back from being allowed to come home from the Korean War. Um, for just for a little bit of background, that war began in 1950 when communists controlled North Korea invaded South Korea. Uh, America joined in to help, and the war kind of ended in a stalemate uh, around 1953. 
but with the Korean nation still divided. And as we all know, to this day, um, even though there's been many different attempts, the, the, the nation does remain divided. Um, now, although Korea wasn't really essential to the United States from a strategic standpoint, uh, the U.S. didn't want to appear to be soft on communism. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, the, poli- the U.S. intervened as part of a police action, which was run by the U.N., um, kind of being a, a U.S. world police situation. Um, but it, later on, we find out that the U.N. was kind of being manipulated by the U.S., and NATO f- f- uh, against anti-communist interests. So mm-hmm. um, it, it's a lot going on there. But the point is, this is the setting of where we're at. And um, go ahead. Real, real quick, I just want to point it out because yeah. doing the research and knowing this about history, it's so interesting because we look at these times so long ago and that they were in such different times. But it really goes like, you know, World War II ends in 1945 and the Japanese are still in, you know, being belligerent out there. MacArthur is still commanding the U.S. Navy out in the Pacific Ocean, and MacArthur, you know, is a general. He's on his war shit. So when shit pops off in Korea, he's like, oh, okay, let's do it. And that's just five years later. You know what I mean? So it's oh, not like... do it. Yeah, it ain't even like there's a lot of time, you know, like America even had time to rest from World War II. You know, it's like they jump right into the Korean War immediately mm-hmm. in 1950, and then the Vietnam War follows that in the 1960s. So it's like, this is just America's thing, running around blowing people up for pretty much no good reason. Yeah. There's a reason why we're called war dogs and war mm-hmm. and all those yeah. things. Yep. Uh, yeah. Imperialism jumped out, but uh. And there's also a lot of imperialism from the Japanese side, and you know we'll get yeah. into all that as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, as Ben, I mean, said we're going to get into that, but let's talk about some of the themes of this show. Themes of the episode. One of the major ones, the the one that that fucks you up in the very beginning is the fact of monsters or, or people being monsters or, monsters. As, as you mentioned, not what they seem. Um, there is a quote that Gia shares with Atticus, and it says, quote, we've both done monstrous things, but does that make us monsters? Um, but that does not make us monsters. But that does not make us monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, so as... Let's just go right from the very beginning of... <laughs> Of the story um we do find out that uh gia is not quite a human she is imbued with the spirit of what is called a kumio um a kumio is basically this this nine-tailed fox demon soul uh that's known for um killing people um it there's many different stories of kumio depending on what culture you're, you're you're looking at but there's one story where the cameo uh, represents it, it it shows up in the form of a beautiful woman uh seduces men um kill them for like their their certain um organs hearts things like that um in korean mythology they're almost always seen as monsters with evil intentions and as mentioned we found out with this particular situation um the reason why gia is is a cameo is because it was summoned by her mother because of what Gia's father did to her. Um, and by what Gia's father did to her, I mean Gia's father was raping her as a child. Um, yeah, it's, it's it, it, again, very hard episode to, 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 to get through when you really start getting all these different reveals. Um, uh, I know Portia had some notes about Camille that you might have wanted to talk about. Yeah, so... Um, I am an avid watcher of K-dramas and they are, you know, they go from anything from just like regular romance stories set in modern day to fantasy. 
Um, and they like to mix it up. They do modern romance and fantasy, and you get some really fun K drama. So there's one K drama called uh, My Girlfriend Is a Nine Tailed Fox in English, or another English translation is My Girlfriend Is a Gumio. Um, and mm-hmm. similar thing. It's a um, it's an attractive woman who shows up out of nowhere, sort of, and comes into this guy's life, kind of makes him stronger by sharing her magic with him a little bit. It improves his, like, body. Like, he's kind of, like, superhuman powers for a bit. Um, And then, like, romance goes awry from there, and it also has something to do with the 100. Like, the number 100 has something to do with the crafting of, like, the Kumio story, depending Mm -hmm. on, like, the souls or time, or it's, like, it really just depends on how they um, depend on it in making it part of the story. Um, and then uh, there is a Korean-American author. Her name is Kat Cho. She wrote a book called Wicked Fox. And then she has a sequel to that one that's also in the same vein. And it's also about Kumio or Gumio um, in Korean culture. So if you want to check out like this storytelling from like more modern tellings of it, there's mm-hmm. a lot of like resources on that, um, especially in Korean like media and literature. Mm. And something that I was thinking about uh, is because from this whole idea of we both done monstrous things, but that does, that does not make us monsters, is who are the monsters in this episode and who are the monsters in this series? I feel like this episode really makes you re-examine a lot of the things that we've already seen, one, because one, like I think I mentioned this and we all talked about it before, we feel like most of this family, pretty much everyone on this show knows a lot more than what they've let on. And by this episode's reveals, we know that Atticus has seen monsters before. This is not his first encounter with them. And he's also thinks of himself as a monster. Mm-hmm. And in this episode, we have G.I., we have Atticus, and we have Soon He. And all of them do very monstrous things. But me personally, I feel like Atticus and G.I. are going to get looked at differently than Soon He because they're both young, beautiful you know, very hot, very attractive people. They're, you know, deliver all their lines, everything. And soon he gets pointed, I mean, painted as the evil one or as the yes. more monstrous of the three. But in reality, even, you know, G.I., like, soon he asked a very, you know, soon he mates had very valid points. Like, she asked G.I. about her relationship with Atticus. And she's like, how can you love someone who killed your best friend? And... Where's the answer? I feel like the re- the get a question the reasoning behind why Suhi did Suhi did that to uh, Gia like asked her that question because I kind of feel like it was more of a like you called me a monster but are you not as well kind of thing because mm-hmm. um the this happens this conversation happens after Gia has confronted um her mother about the fact that she wasn't just the like helpless victim and her daughter's like rape like she her mother like married this man knowing that he was going to take advantage of her daughter and she was okay with it to a certain extent um and so and we don't know what happened to make the mother finally um go to the um mudang and kind of ask for that like for her to become a kumio but we know that from her the vantage point of Gia, her mother is like complicit in somewhat um like the reason that this man was brought into her life and because it's her stepfather it wasn't like her father yeah like, that wasn't her biological but, and so like it kind of like it kind of brings forth because like there's we'll get to like the red flags that i mentioned but like um 
like in Korean culture, and I feel like it's part of like just general culture, um, like how people are with like stepdaughters and like stepkids or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Korean culture, especially like if you're um, unwed mother, like it's just really frowned upon even to this day. And um, so whenever Jung Ah confronts her mother about that, like you knew that he was preying on you because you already felt shamed and you wanted so ha- much to be part of a community. He's taken advantage of that by marrying you. And then you knew that the cost for that was him um, raping me and you did nothing about it. So mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of like there of like, um, and so he kind of brings up the monstrousness nature of like Jia what she's also pointing at is trying to like deflect away from her own monstrous nature as well. Oh, she's definitely deflecting, but at the same time, the question still remains. Like, it's not that soon he is not a monster, but it's also that Gia and Atticus are both monsters as well. Mm -hmm. But like I say, we look at them differently because of their physical appearance. Like, you know, they are physical appearance, though, because like like, I don't the mom was I I didn't care about what was going on with the mom until she decided to like tell us what happened, like how the right how the rape happened. I didn't think either. I just thought the mom was being very like um, traditional, like a conservative or whatever. Um, Besides the whole like go sleep with a lot of men thing, because that was kind of I was like, what is going on with that? Mm -hmm. And then found out later. Um, but I didn't really see the mom acting like in any behavior that I found like particularly monstrous until I found out what happened. But that's well, a, but that's my, that's my point. It's like that's yeah. yeah. Once you find out what happened, and the mom, you know, is even before you know about the whole rape and everything, and the stepfather coming in, and Gia blames her because she says that the mom, you know, was an unwed mother, and so she knew what the dad would do, you know, or she would allow it because she would do anything to keep a man. Yeah, to keep a man. And so she wouldn't even care about her own daughter. But even before that, you see the mom telling her, go get 10 more men after she just ate dude. You know, after she eats yeah. the first victim that we see. So the but we mom, find out even, why. Yeah, once you find out why. But even before you know that, the mom is saying, yo, go get more dudes. Yeah. So her mom is, I mean, they all, everyone is displaying, honestly, just everyone at this point in this yeah. episode is displaying monstrous behavior mm-hmm. or um, monstrous adjacent behavior. Um and and to Portia's point about the mom, like, I mean, she, she you know, the whole her, her reasoning of summoning the Camille is, you know, she basically to avenge her daughter. But like you said, mm-hmm. you don't know if there's anything else beyond it. But I think that's a pretty good reason. <laughs> no, I think that was pretty much it. I don't think that was pretty much it. Reason. Right? Yeah, it was like she said, I, I did this because I wanted to. She says it. Her mom says I, I wanted I did to this. avenge my daughter. Yeah, she said I wanted to protect my daughter and I didn't know the price would be so high. But mm-hmm. the mom knew from the gate that the price would be a hundred souls. Mm-hmm. So the mom is already it's like she's denying her own monstrousness, but yeah, she a monster too. Yeah. Um, just to round out kind of that legend of Camille and the I mentioned it's a nine-tailed fox. Um the nine-tailed fox demon actually comes up in a very popular anime Naruto. Naruto has the nine-tailed fox demon sealed inside of him. Mm-hmm. Um uh, so, so that's a huge one. And then, like I mentioned before, this this legend of this type of uh, demon pops up in many cultures in Asia. Um, and again, with slight variations thereof. Um, what did you all feel about the presentation of the Kumio within Gia? So the fact that, as you say, she looks, she appears as this beautiful Korean woman. But then when she's having relations with men or with maybe with everybody, when she's having relations, literally these 
it was the grossest thing. The six tentacles, which I found out later were tails, the tails just seep out of her every orifice of her body. Isn't it nine? One, two, you three. Be I want to count I, five. I, I, I count. I only counted eight, but but a Camille has nine. So yeah, uh, I want to <laughs> count right. But that presentation thereof again. Kudos to the visual effects team for really, <laughs> for really um, putting the mustard on. Uh, y'all fucked me up though. It was a bit much for me, especially what she did to that first man. Uh, yeah, and they're they're not the fluffy, nice uh, fox <laughs> tails that I've seen before. Yeah, not at so, all. So I was no. just kind of like, um, are these? Because uh, it looked like a monkey tail for real to me. Yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. what is that supposed to be? Is this supposed to be a, like a change? Um, so that's yeah. what, um, that was my initial reaction. It was just like, oh, is this like a change of the things? And it wasn't. So I was just like, okay, these aren't, you know, your typical fluffy foxtails. Well, uh, folks, you know, I think this is where my expertise comes in, sadly. <laughs> because uh, one, I loved it. It was horribly grotesque. I rewatched that scene several no, times. And... Not only do the tentacles have fur on them, there's also little bone spikes. They, they seem to have mouths when they dive into my man's eyes. It's mm-hmm. it's all over distrusting. And um, which goes into a whole lot about, um, like as we said at the top of the episode, tentacle porn or tentai, and which is an offshoot of hentai, which is basically pornography you know people in america associate hentai with tentacle porn japanese pornography yeah but it is animated pornography yeah it's more about japanese animated pornography japanese drawn pornography etc but tentai is something that i became aware of as sadly as a pretty much a child when i first got into anime and i was a fan yeah it was was sad like let me tell the story like i I first found out but way too soon I found out about Akira and became a huge fan of Akira and would watch this bootleg videotape that we had of it where it didn't even have um, subtitles or anything. So I didn't even know what the hell the movie was about. We would just watch it in Japanese and just, you know, not care. And it was amazing. And then we got our hands on Fist of the North Star. And I was like, okay, this is good. A little more violent than I need, but, you know, still solid. And then my friends were like, yo, you want to see this movie, Wicked City? Okay. Oh, no, Nick, no. Ninja Stroll came after. I saw Ninja okay. Stroll a few years later. Okay. Yeah, because that was all the sex and all that too. But no, that's the problem. See, Wicked City was before. Ninja Stroll should have been the progression there. But no, they jumped right into Wicked City. And um, I sat down to watch Wicked City thinking it was, you know, something like Akira or even like Fist of the North Star. And I was wrong. It is filled with horrible tentacle porn. For those who don't know, it's considered one of the ones that brought the idea of tentacle porn, even to the Western audiences and to the mainstream in general. And it's horrible. I would not recommend it to anyone. I don't think I finished the movie that day. I walked out on them dudes like, what's wrong with y'all? You know, and we already know what, you know, they're not, uh, let's say, safe Negroes. Let's just say that. You know, we already know how that goes down. Um, my other favorite word on this show. But yeah, so (laughs) just to wrap that up. Tentacle porn is what we saw pretty much right there, and it's used in Japan, in Japanese culture, in in Japan and Asian cultures because there is a lot of censorship there, and you cannot show um, genitalia. So because of that, people use tentacles as a substitute, at least in modern times, 
But the use of tentacles in Japanese and Asian cultures goes way back into ancient history and starts with like octopus and all mm-hmm, kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So there you I go. That that was the dive into Tentai. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and just to bring it all kind of full circle, um, you mentioned anime and all that stuff, uh, especially nowadays. Um, anime is actually produced mostly in Korea, funny enough. Hmm. Um, they outsource a lot of the animation work, the drawings and all that because it's, it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, which is interesting because, again, when we talk about the history between, you know, different cultures and, mm-hmm. and the art forms and even if the, the relationships between countries, Korea and Japan, yep. very complex. And we're going to get more into that. Colonialism. Yeah. Imperialism. Um, uh, and, and just to finish up that whole Camillo stuff, um, we find out that at least in Lovecraft Country, the Camillo powers, uh, when she is connected to uh, a person, it allows her, her, meaning Gia, to see that person's memories. And as we learn later with, and I didn't know if she knew she had this power, but as we learn later, she can see the future of a person as well. Uh, she sees the future of Atticus, um, which, which causes quite a disturbance during their interaction. Um, uh, d- did we talk about how Atticus is monstrous in his approach? Uh, not, right uh, not quite yet, <laughs> but um, I guess we can get into that. Your man Atticus has done a lot of dirt in Korea and probably a lot of other places as well. And my God, he excuses it in this episode. And it goes back to the other episode about a history of violence and him trying to flee the violence that he comes from with his own father that we see in explicit detail in this episode. That should have been mm-hmm. another trigger warning because I was triggered by that joint because I, I was I've been in I've been in all of Atticus's positions in his uh, flashbacks and flash forwards other than that last one so um it's pretty like this is the thing atticus uses the same line that nazis that policemen use i was just following orders that that the ice officers use today that pretty much everyone uses i was just following orders and it's a bullshit excuse because you signed up for it and atticus uses the bullshit ass excuse to me at least of volunteering for a war. Like, one, you are in 1950s Korea. You've already seen what black people, like I said, just five years ago went through World War II. You've already seen what the military will do to a black man. You know, you come from a woke-ass family for that matter. You know, you're a student of science fiction, etc. And yet he signs up from the war thinking that will allow him to escape the violence that he has at home. Thank uh... Yeah, that, that it's... <laughs> It's like the silliest shit I've ever heard, you know, and it's, and he's a monster. That's all there is to it. Like the I say. logic behind it, like, cause honestly, I'm thinking it's part of me is thinking, so it's reminding me of like young me whenever I used to like, I, my head was so much in books that I romanticize mm-hmm. a lot of things that were mm. not really romantic. Right. Mm-hmm. So I remember once, um, some adults were asking me like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm like, I want to be a secretary. And they're like, <laughs> Secretary of State, Secretary, yeah. like yeah, they try to elevate a little bit. And I was like, you know, you know, because it was I was reading like historical fiction at the time, and mm-hmm. they made like secretary jobs sound like everything. So I was like, oh yeah, like secretary, that's it right there. And they're just like, oh, the poor girl, like she. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's funny to me, like how like 
that's a, a kind of like a thing that you could see like you just kind of like romanticize that and i think if atticus is over here idealizing john carter or whatever he's mm-hmm. idealizing a white man who was literally a confederate soldier mm-hmm. who went off and did these fantastic things so mm. that might have become part of his own genesis of like escape and like thought and he wasn't even thinking about the violence behind what he's perpetuating he was thinking about the romanticism of oh when you're a soldier you get these skills and then you go forward in life and it opens yourself up to escaping whatever like he romanticized it in his head so much that he didn't really come to grips mm-hmm. with the fact that he was being the type of person he would become the type of person yeah. um that he wouldn't really want to and like be at some point i mean maybe he didn't even maybe yeah. he just didn't question the fact that like maybe he thought that would be an adventure to kill someone like maybe that's the monstrous part of it and I've never been in the military, and, and, and maybe we have some people who have been or are currently in the military listening. Um, I'm curious as to what are the psychological implications that go on when you you get to that point where you're in war or wherever, and you have to get to the stage of killing somebody. Mm. And from Lovecraft, from this episode, it seemed, and again, don't know if he just, it's just blocked it out, if he, again, he's, he's covering it up with, I'm just following orders. But the, just the way that, Atticus even operates. He mm-hmm. sh- shoots the women in the head point blank, no hesitation, no remorse. Mm-hmm. A robot. Yeah. Just well, that... d- devoid of, of emotion or, 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 and again, people will say, well, what are you supposed to do? You're a soldier. Like you just follow orders. But just that, un- just that thought of for- forget your humanity. You're just following orders. Well, that's something I, I can't speak of. I've never been in the military. I was definitely raised by a military father though. And I can speak on, uh, I had a good friend, you know, one of my best friends has been in the military and another friend I went to Howard with. And my friend who I went to Howard with once said that every man should either go into the military or go to prison. And I've been to prison and I can tell you that it's both of them are these type of things where they are going to try and remove your individuality and try and remove any thoughts that you have that isn't of the unit of one thing. Mm-hmm. And in the military, you are made into a killing machine. So Atticus is not you know whatever he grew up on or whatever his like portia said his romanticizing of the military and this is the reality of it is to be a huge difference and he is going to become a different person than he was before and then once you're dropped into the reality of war like we were talking about this before the show about like men you know sleeping with women and wilding out this is the reality of war you know like mm. it's something you will do anything to get through the day you know that's something i learned in prison that's why a lot of people break down in prison because it's like you are faced with such a situation where you're like, yeah, I'll do anything to make it through this day, you know? And some people have the character and the strength of character, and some people don't. And Atticus, yeah. you know, that's my that's where I, like, I severely question him, and I call him a monster in this because he made a choice to go yeah. to it. He wasn't drafted any of that, you know what I mean? Yeah. He could have gone I, anywhere to get away from that violence. He did mm-hmm. not have to go to war. He could have right. gotten some money together, took mm-hmm. some trips, like yeah. he could have done whatever I mean, he wanted. When we think about it in the context, right? He claims he got away to get away from the violence of home, of his upbringing with his father. He also did it to get away from the violence of America being mm-hmm. called, you know, being considered the N-word, the hard R, the hard uh <laughs> with the hard R at the end. Like he wanted to escape that and he thought going to the military was the way again for him to I, i'm just like i, I don't want to say oh was it that bad atticus that the that the army was the only way but it's just like mm. was there were there other options 
And is it because there really were none, particularly as a black man in America in that time? Perhaps or was not. he thought this was the best? Because for him, for us, it seems obvious, right? Like mm-hmm. by the time he's in Korea, we're like, and he's like, yeah, I want, I'm trying to get out of here. We're like, you think so, dummy? Like, yeah. why would you sign up? But it's also like, can we say that easily? Because we didn't know what it what no. he was going through. But at the same time, he knows there are different routes because he literally, like, his family members are over here traveling the U.S. every freaking day. Like, they're, Mm -hmm. like, that safe Negro guy. Like, he knows that there's, like, maybe he's upset with the fact that there's, like, you can live up north and still have to worry about having a safe Negro travel guide to get through Mm -hmm. the north. But Mm -hmm. the whole point of the guide is to find those safe places. So he's had opportunities to go find his safe spaces in the U.S. He just chose, He, I guess he was this, um, this, he didn't have any like, comp- like compulsion to be part of that. So he decided to go in some other way. So I'm trying to think of, do we know that he's, if he's like tried to go to college or if he's gone to college, like, you know, anything else to get him out of like his home environment. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. has he tried anything else? We don't know, but uh, this is something that I, you know, I always say that men are trash, but Another question that I have about this is that Gia says another quote that I just love so much in this episode is that of all the men she absorbed, all of them have been more bad than good. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, like going back to her mama, you know, her mama is like super trash as well. Like Gia points out, you knew this was coming. You know, when you married this man, you knew what he would fucking do. You let him do it. You didn't care. Until it got to be too much. And then you were like, okay, a hundred men dying is worth it. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, so is everybody trash? Listen, I will say one thing. I did not like Atticus's uh, character in this episode from beginning to end was mm. not rocking with him whatsoever. Mm. Um, also, just further along in the, the the monster tropes that keep coming up, um, vampirism, your favorite, Ben, it keeps it shows Vampire. up again. Uh, this time also coupled with the with the concept of the succubi or succubus. Mm, I always um, love that too. That's just, <laughs> ooh, me, love me some succubi. Uh, you mentioned here that Gia is in red when she eats a she eats a so I don't know which soul she ate when she was wearing red, but oh, she, the the very first one, the, the very, very first, first one, one okay. that we get to see at least. That's already her what ninetieth. Uh, Right there? <laughs> yeah, the first one is the 90th dude that she is, you know? But Damn. Yeah. She's wearing his blood. That's red as well, you know? She's wearing his blood. Fam, um, that, hold on. Did we just talk, it. Uh, that, that Fox Swap got some miles on it is all I'm saying, boy. <laughs> 90, fam? Like, 90 bodies. I mean, literally 90 bodies, you know? <laughs> but, like... <laughs> she ain't even lying about the numbers or nothing, you know? <laughs> And Mr. and Mrs. Smith or whatever, both of them have bodies. So they have it's body real. Count. People be oh, having bodies. Mr. and Mrs. Things. Smith. Yeah. The movie with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Yeah, yeah but they, when they were when they were when they were assassins. But I meant bodies. Like she got bodies on that fox swap. You know what I mean? Like she has been like did you call, wait, wait. Did you fox call it fox swap? Fox swap. Wop. Okay. Fox swap. <laughs> Magical okay. fox swap at that, you know. Nine tail fox swap. Also dealing with vampirism. <laughs> uh, okay. There are mad bodies on it. That's all I'm saying. Ben uh, made this point in the yes. previous episode that every good director will be mindful of absolutely everything that's on screen and everything mm-hmm. that occurs. There's there's no mistakes, right? So yep. you see with the colors, um, uh, Gia is actually shot in red when she's at the bar. Yes. Uh, she eats somebody. 
beautiful when she first yeah before she you know <laughs> we call them eat but but she yeah, doesn't but, really eat they they let's be clear they explode like a balloon before she <laughs> i mean ripped apart to explode but yeah before she puts that fox swap on them we see her at the bar chilling out uh waiting for the dude and it's all beautifully shot in red this song is sung uh by one of the what is the name of the song by the live band by the live band it really has this real Quentin Tarantino feel to it with the whole like Asian culture and then Spanish singing and the red light and her beautiful dress and everything. And then even the lead back to the apartment, everything, it just had that real Quentin Kill Bill uh, feel to it. And then, you know, she put that fox swap on them, lit them candles up. It was, yeah, it was. She gave a different meaning to the red light special. No. Yo. Portia. Yeah. Oh, man. Gotta take yeah. TLC to that. Gotta get oh, it. man. Yes. Bloody Sunday. Um, Wrong time frame, though. So, <laughs> uh, and again, the the symbolism and, and, and colors continue on. Um, you mentioned that Gia normally wears blue. Mm-hmm. Um, which could represent, in this case, democracy, since there is this big scourge of of the red state or the communism, and mm-hmm. even in the Korean flag, there is a red and blue symbol in it, which represents yin and yang. Yeah. Um, you know, a concept of a complementary forces. Um, red represents positive cosmic forces, and the blue is the negative cosmic forces. But the fact that there's always a balance there, um, and and technically, even for the most part, with Gia being able to control Camille, she's She's working with the balance, right? She has her negative comics, com- cosmic force and then the, her positive human force mm-hmm. that she, she's balancing as she continues on. Yeah. Um, and uh, on yeah. that note, yeah, that's something I'm I'm not a, like last week. I was much more certain with the colors. Uh, G.I. wearing blue a lot. I'm not 100 percent, but I feel like that, you know, definitely could be what we said about democracy and communism and all that. Yeah, but it, it's it could, definitely when she starts eating people, she's always in red, <laughs> you know, even with all uh, your man's even with. Uh, Atticus in the last scene when you know she when he runs out on her she picks up the sheet and it's all red you know it's definitely once again and we never mentioned this before but it's like goes back to the sixth sense where in the film the sixth sense red is always the color of supernatural it's like that's the only time you ever see red in that film is when you see supernatural things going on. And, you know, I like the note about the yin, yin, yin and yang because, the, as you mentioned, that those energies are complementary to each other. Mm-hmm. Because, and really, depending on what how it's used, both democracy and communism are not evil or good. Mm. It's how it's used and how it's established and then how it affects the people who live under those types of uh, uh, societies and, that, and that, systems. And that, like, that's something we always talk about is that it's the systems that are the problem. It's like patriarchal society is a system. It fucks up everybody. You know, communism else up democracy else up everybody. You know, these systems are the problem. It's not the idea of people and individuals, but these systems and how they abuse people and ruin pretty much everyone. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, as we continue on, you 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 made a good point. Uh, well, we we all keep making the point of the the history. There's a lot of rich history that is touched upon during this episode, particularly Korean culture. Um, the history between, um, you know, the Japanese invasion of Korea uh, and then, of course, the Korean War itself. Um, I wanted to talk about the both the, the protection of and display of Korean culture as well as the westernization of the East, hmm. because there's there's a lot of that. Uh, there's a lot of commentary 
both visually and 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 verbally throughout this episode. Um, ben, you mentioned that song that was playing when Gia was in the bar. Mm-hmm. It was a live band that a live Korean band that was singing a Mexican song. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure the name of the of the artist. If, I don't know if you remember Portia, mm-hmm. but um, of that song, but Besame Mucho is the song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in addition, Gia herself just being obsessed with Julie Garland and all those like classic Metro Goldwyn Mayer films, mm-hmm. um, the films that were you know big during that time. Um, uh, when you look at the forms of dress of Gia and even the people, the the, the citizenry themselves. Um, so, for example, when Gia's home, she's wearing traditional hanbok. Um, her mom is wearing a traditional hanbok, which is the traditional clothing um in korea but when she's out and about in the streets she wears like 1950s western stylings mm-hmm. even her hair is in kind of that well first of all we called her the korean letty her hair looks like similar to how letty would style her hair we just um, saying that atticus has a type <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, yeah um in the movie theater in the opening scene um she's wearing this kind of sailor girl uniform and it has U.S. iconography over it, like mm-hmm. both on the heart and on the sleeve. It has that that American eagle, which I know has been used in other cultures, but it has that very specific kind of look to it that that reminds me of the propaganda during that time, during all the different wars. Um, speaking of the wars, when the U.S. soldiers are driving through with their tanks and trucks, they're throwing out all sorts of propaganda, saying the U.S. is here to help you. And everyone's looking at them skeptically, like, who are these clowns? Rightfully so, because like I said, I don't know if they were helping, but they G. were doing it goes what they were doing what they wanted to do. Yeah, and G.I. goes home and burns that propaganda for her fire. Yeah, it was <laughs> good kindling. It's like, yeah. I mean, if nothing else, they gave them something to light up that fire and keep them warm for, the, for that night. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even the theater itself, which is very popular with the, the citizens there in, in Daegu, um, it, it promotes Western values because it's promoting all these Western type of entertainment mm-hmm. and, and lifestyle lifestyles. And as we, white people, because you know, you're not going to probably, you're probably not going to see any black people unless they were slaves or servants or something like that. Mm-hmm. Just want to know, um, like for the significance of Julie, Judy, uh, Judy Garland, Judy Garland. Um, is that like the, uh, Wizard of Oz was the first one movie to show in Technicolor. So I could see mm. that being like a big like thing for people to be really like enchanted by is the fact that like the first time they're seeing movies in Technicolor is like from this one woman. So like Judy Garland could but like I could see how Judy Garland become a big figure to Gia because she's like, mm-hmm. oh, every time I see this woman, I'm going to see her in bright colors and like just magical thinking. And so she kind of like becomes part of her looking at the world a little bit differently. But it's also OK. That's the thing about Gia, right? Is that um is Gia... Well, it's not. Gia isn't Gia, right? Gia, Gia claims to be the human hill spirit. And that everything she learns is either from films and media or from the people she absorbs. Because she doesn't seem to have, like, mm-hmm. a history from before that. You know? So it's she like, claims she doesn't remember Gia. I'll call her Gia Prime or Gia Prime. Gia yeah. Prime, she doesn't... She's, uh, the Kumio spirit claims they don't know those memories. Mm-hmm. But to your point, Ben, Kumio has been absorbing memory, other people's memories of almost 100 men, almost said niggas, almost 100 men. Uh, <laughs> she's been absorbing these Western ideals, these Western songs, and building a persona based on that. And also, I mean, Western Anchory, and she's absorbing all, who knows, you know, who knows where all those dudes came from. She was absorbing all kind of, you know, cats. So yeah. she got all kind of different memories. That's how she knew 
the book that I butchered, you know, several times, and she knew it very well because she'd already absorbed somebody who'd uh, seen the film or she'd seen the film, right? So either way, but decide how much of this is her and how much of this is GI and how much of this is GI Prime, as you say. I wonder, because, you know, I mean, maybe it's because I just read a book about like a anthology story about this um people who choose who they're gonna absorb like when vampires choose who they're gonna suck dry or whatever Mm -hmm. like do you think she's been selective with her like Mm -hmm. 90 plus men do you think she's only do you think she has like a moral code of like i'm only taking out the bad men or you know what i mean well i thought because the man that she absorbed last was a married man and we saw that he was married yeah at first i was like i don't think she's having she's being selective because like to your point it was some random married guy but then later her mom was like, when her mom was like, well, there's more soldiers coming in and she was upset. Her mom being also obviously upset about the war going on around them. I thought she was directing Jaya to start getting soldiers. So I don't, and, it didn't seem to me she was completely selective at first. And also she said, her mom said that she, the soldiers are just as bad as the Japanese referring to the, you know, whole Koreans problem with the Japanese being yeah. the invaders from before that. So she just getting Japanese and then soldiers, you know, who knows? Or That's what I thought. But then, like, them all. and not that that doesn't couldn't make him Japanese. <laughs> gotta but get that, them all. But gotta catch them all. <laughs> I just thought it was like I mean, a- I thought I, I thought that guy that the, the married man was in fact Korean because he was speaking Korean to her, but he could be Japanese and know how to speak Korean. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? I thought it was like I didn't think that he was like Japanese or I thought it was like the opposite. I thought that so I thought that the mother was mad that she just wasn't picking men willy nilly. She's like, You you would make my life better if you would just bring men in willy nilly. You're mm-hmm. taking yeah. too long to get mm-hmm. these things mm-hmm. done. So yeah. I took the mother saying, Go after the soldiers because they're just as bad as the Japanese as mm-hmm. her telling her if you're looking for people with bad moral compasses to take and suck dry, then there you go. We got a whole bunch of soldiers okay. coming in. Let's yeah. go get them. So, so GI has standards. <laughs> I mean, 90 consume. bodies. I don't know about <laughs> standards. Uh, I mean, know. I'm not saying there's not some innocents that got caught up in something that at somewhere, but I'm saying maybe her overall system is I'm going to go after the ones who were like, I think are awful people or something. And and just to be clear, I'm not judging anyone for, you know, their amount of sexual partners, you know, but uh, damn, men and women, once you get to 90, fam, I'm like, fam, woof, you know, what's been popping? Yeah. And, and she ain't even that, you know, she's that like, number is really bothering I mean, she's like, problems. I mean, she ain't got 99 problems. She solved all the most. Like, hey, you know, ain't nobody calling her afterwards. <laughs> but that's on that's what she chose she does not want them to call her she they cannot yeah. pass go because they cannot no. pass anywhere they're done Mm-mm, no one night stand for real <laughs> she she be defined red light specials and one night stands <laughs> well then i mean your point your your initial point was very good just about the camillos uh kind of formulating their own persona yes um uh, through the westernization. Uh, and also, I mentioned this is this episode is largely about the protection of, thereof and display of Korean cultures. Mm-hmm. Uh, very funny scene that I, I, I don't know. I, maybe I was the only one, but I died laughing. But during the speed dating scene, which which is cool, cute because it's like in the 1950s, y'all was speed dating, all right? Um, uh, and I didn't know whether there was just something they just threw in there or someone really, w- or they really was doing speed dating back in that day. But during that, Gia is going through all her different dates, just being a weirdo with everyone. And she calls the first guy Opa, which means big brother. So why would you, why would you, or older brother. So why would you call? So, so, um, in, so K-drama, girl. K-drama, okay, okay. Go. 
So Opa and Uni and all they're like yeah. and Nuna, they're Are those all pet names? they're all like cutesy, like familiar mm-hmm. uh Balmol. So Balmol is whatever yes, you're familiar with go. the person and you so you know how like in Spanish there's Usted and there's uh, Usted, two? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So two is the one that's more informal, that's your friends, your family, whatever. Ustedes is who you speak to like formally, like your professors, whatever. Same thing in Korean. There's Banmal and then there's a formal Korean. Formal Korean mm-hmm. is everybody. You do not yes. meet someone if they're younger or older, whatever. You speak to them all in formal Korean until you get to know them. Then, if you know them well enough, then you can start bringing in the like the the, the slang opa, the... whatever. Okay. So opa is trying to be cute. Like opa is like, oh, like it can be male friend, it can be like honey if you're like yeah. a couple. So it really just depends. Which is why I was like, that's a very familiar term. So who was she doing talking this random man calling him Opa? She was trying to be cute. Well, that shit wasn't cute, honey, because he looked at her like wrong and crossed her off. She's being overly familiar. He was like, no, I don't. mm -mm, I'm not. Yeah. She's the kind of she's trying to come at me and I'm not cute. I'm not for it. Like, no. Yeah, not at all. Um. Uh, another man she she talks about she asks him does he like judy garland films and all that stuff uh, uh excuse me before we get there the the another guy she talks to she says um she quoted a, a judy garland film. i don't remember which one she quoted but she does that and the guy <laughs> this is why i laughed he basically looks at her like and asks why do you have the audacity to consume american propaganda when the japanese has tried to erase korean culture for 50 years mm-hmm like during a speed, like this is what you come to me with. Like we're in the we're in the middle of a war. You know what just you know what happens with with how co- important Korean culture is, and this is what you this is the game you spit into me. Mm-hmm. And it's also I mean it's very pointed because the Japanese it, when they invaded in 1910 did everything they could to erase Korean culture. Like it is ridiculous. Like you know this is like uh, America and the Native Americans where you, you know where we just wiped them out. Like they did their best to absorb Korea. They wiped out their history. They wiped out their culture. They tore down all their temples, everything they could to make it where they they went and replanted like uh, plants. Like they brought mm. in Japanese plants and they were terraforming. Cut, wow! Yeah, cut down all the trees that Korea was used to, and it turned it into where it looked like Japan. You know, it's ridiculous. So it is wildly insulting for her. You know, for this dude, and I fully like. That's what I'm saying. I fully understand a lot of the people in this episode. Like, I understand her mom, which she was called GI. You know, I, man, like, all oh, everybody trash. Yeah, very much so. Uh, and like I said, I just, I should bust out laughing because he was dead ass with her. He was not yeah. playing. Um, but also, as we mentioned earlier, you know, the, because of that, that Japanese invasion and that colonization of Korea, that's why there's still simmering issues mm-hmm. between the two countries to this day or the, the societies to this day. Um, and, you know, GIA mentioned this term later on in the episode, but that, that Japanese invasion is also the reason why comfort women exist. Um, you have Oof. some notes about this. Uh, and this, this is very another difficult uh, topic to talk about, but Portia. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think I, Ben or, added the link. Yeah. Oh, Ben, sorry. Yeah, ben, I actually added all this, and I did, once again, uh, research I did not want to do, but had to do. And Comfort women were something that the Japanese established when they had this whole thing with China where they rolled into this Chinese town and tore it apart and doing so raped all these women, et cetera, right? And so this became a huge international thing. And so they're like, oh, we can't have this happen again. So instead, they established these things called comfort houses, which were basically slave kennels where they would go and get Chinese and Korean women and 
take them from their families. The article that I read, there's one survivor because like 90% of the women in these things were killed or passed away. One survivor talks about how she was 14 years old, walking down the street, a van rolled up on her, punched her in the head, grabbed her, threw her in the Mm. van, and she never saw her parents again. Mm. You know, and that was it. And so uh, G.I. refers to that when she's being brought onto the base, and she says, does Atticus think I'm some comfort woman? And it's just a horrible horror. It just, you know, it's just one of those things, yet again, we see the horrors of humanity. Because they said, like, between, I mean, the numbers are just unknown, but we are talking potentially hundreds of thousands of women being drafted into slavery over these years. Because this went on from the 1900s till uh, after World War II, and there's still evidence of it still going on today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And just, just in the continuing down the vein of the different displays of Korean culture and Korean history... Um, you have the the interesting, and I think this was you, Portia, when we were talking about um, kind of the differences between the Korean culture and Gia and, and how she, I guess, moves through the world. Yeah. Did you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, um, mind you, this is mo- a, a lot of inference from K-dramas and, like, having watched over, like, probably around 100 K-dramas in my life. Um, mm-hmm. There is a lot of, like, when you're seeing... Gia, like in the first couple scenes with her mother, um, some differences where you're kind of like, oh, that's a kind of flag for something being different. And at first I thought it might lead to one direction um, and we got something else in this show. But generally, um, when her mother asked her to bring a man back home, uh, and like this is something we talked about pre-show about like how initially y'all like thinking like, oh, like she's asking her to get married, like to bring a man into the family to like go on and like do the next thing. But then later on in the conversation, her mom also says to bring him home tonight, which is not a normal thing. Like that's not something that parents really like uh, depend on their daughters to do, like especially in a connotation of like bring him back home for sex because like a lot of like Asian culture is very conservative. And that was something even like, Western culture could not see you say, a parent saying to their child, bring somebody home tonight and have sex. Like, I can't see that <laughs> happening. Um, <laughs> so there's that. So that was a flag to me. Like, something was different about this relationship between this mother and fa- this daughter. Um, and then whenever um, Jia is talking to Young Ja at the, like, after the speed dating about how her mom uh, wants her to bring a man home and Gia was like, well, did she expect you to, like, find someone from these, like, engineering nerds? And mm-hmm. I initially was just like, initially I thought what we were going to find out was that there was a community of Kumio. And I thought that Young Jia was also going to be one. And I thought yeah. that what the, like, the whatever she kept looking at Gia during her conversation um, with the other nurses about, like, how she picked up a man. And Gia, she kept looking at Gia and Gia was, like, really intently listening. I thought she was kind of like, rubbing it in her face like haha I can p- bring him in home all every night and you can't and you're supposed to be like I'm the number one kumio over I, here I, I thought that too I thought that was what was <laughs> happening and I mean that would have been a cool <laughs> swerve I thought that was the case but especially after their that. discussion about like not being invited to the um yeah Gim Jong I thought Gim Jang I thought it was going to be like okay there's a community of kumio and 
her this mother and daughter are not invited to like the general like community of Kumio because yeah. the daughter hasn't achieved her like one hundredth man or like whatever the thing was. <laughs> what was, show like, y'all? Like, y'all what? Now <laughs> I'm not gonna lie that I had that same before everything got revealed. Yeah. I had that same train of thought. And y'all, again, y'all both maybe you're giving away it. You're giving away a good storyline right now, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Portia. Sorry. So maybe you want to put this to the side. But that's where yeah. my brain had gone, right? Yeah, so I watch too many I happy just... animes is what it is. No! <laughs> that's not happy. There's nothing happy about that. But no. I do watch a lot of anime. I do. So yeah. but maybe like, that's why. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah I, I did think it was going down that way. I yeah, y'all watch too many animes. Yeah. Yeah. I just where uh, I thought it was going at the yeah. time. And then... Uh, also, uh, go ahead, continue. But I just wanted to... And then the other note that gave me a red flag, like, this is not, like, a normal, like... Korean family was the fact that like um the special room is a special room like they were she was treating it like she was going to just go lay down but like most um like working class Koreans they just lay on pallets like even to this day they lay on pallets on the floor to go to sleep they don't have wooden pedestals and sometimes like like uh middle class and like um higher class like socioeconomic status families they have beds and stuff like that. But for the most part, everybody's, because they don't wear your shoes in the house, so everyone's fine with just, like, sleeping on the floor in their bedroom on pallets. That's, like, the normal thing to do. And we see that later in the episode where um, Gia go- is either in her mother's room or in her own room, and she's sitting on a pallet on the floor. That's the normal place. So I knew that that room was, like, symbolic from the jump because I'm like, that's not a normal uh, kind of, like, setup, an arrangement for a bed. And I thought that was interesting that they kind of like lay those like little flags down at the beginning of the show. They also needed a special bed with special sheets to clean up all that blood that they were getting into it every, you know, 90 ass dudes up in there. And and they were, and those are paper (laughs) walls. Yeah. I mean, I I mean, you can replace the paper walls. That's perfect. Yeah. Body count bothered Ben Amin, boy. No, no, I mean, I'm just saying the the cleaning bill bothered Ben Amin (laughs) is what's happening right here. Shit. Uh, Uh, to round out that this conversation about like the, the different traditions and the things, the, the cultural items that we saw during the episode, um, uh, you mentioned Portia the the idea of gimjang, which is the traditional process of which kimchi is made, um, and usually it's an involved process. It begins like like a month um, ahead of time uh, before the like like well before the winter, where like groups of people. Um, make kimchi in very large quantities so that they have food for the winter. And then that's what you did see in the beginning of the episode. You did see um, Jia's mom making kimchi. Um, And then also, just to go back quickly to the style of dress, something that alerted me that something was different about Jia, because this is before she was revealed to be a kumio, was the fact of the the, the hanbok she chose to wear. So the hanbok, as I mentioned, is kind of typical traditional Korean dress. Generally, there's an upper garment called the jeogori, uh, which is worn by both men and women. It has that kind of cross section and sometimes like a ribbon on the side. And then, and again, while both men and women have, have been seen to wear both types, typically a woman wears a chima, which is the skirt, the really large skirt that you saw her mom wearing. Uh, whereas men wear a baji, which generally wear the baji, which are kind of uh, trousers. They don't, they aren't tight fitting. They're, they're loose fitting. Um, they're, they allow for movement so you can bend, lay, all this other stuff. Uh, and for, and when we see Gia, she has on the Jeogori, the again, that top that both the men and women wear, but she's wearing the baji. So I was just like, okay, this is, you know, and she's, she's dressed differently from her mom. Could just be how she's just more comfortable in there. 
I don't know, but I thought maybe that was particularly a cue that she was just different. But also she wears the pants in that household. Like she's the one who has to go out. Get she off wears the pants. She wears the pants. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, uh, ben, did you have any other items particularly for the culture of Korea? No, not anything that we can get into later at least. Yeah. Um, th- the other differences, when, it, when we talk about the differences of culture, um, it, this showed up a lot just in terms of how different people are treated. Um, we mentioned before how Atticus is treated differently in America versus as a soldier in Korea. Um, I Now, this is not 100% true for, it's not like he goes over and everything's sunshine and rainbows. Like, you, we all also know that because of of white supremacy that they they got people over there calling us the n-word when mm-hmm. we show up they're not you know people don't necessarily know why you don't even know what that word means but you're calling me that um but he's he feels like he or he thought he'd be treated better outside of america within korea um his his we call him his soldier homie because we're not sure of his name but atticus's friend um his his asian american friend who is there um he he has a very uh, and this is common, but he has a very special issue where he's not Korean enough for Korea and he's not American enough for the U.S. Uh, you know, they call him his racial epithet in the U.S. And then they use another term in Korean uh, called Yangnam, which is what Koreans call foreigners, including foreign born Koreans. And it is a term of racist connotation. So don't just go running the street yelling this. Um, but it is a derogatory term, particularly for Westerners. And it's an insulting way of, of saying man and can even loosely be translated to saying bastard. Uh, so it has been translated before as Western devil or Yankee. Mm-hmm. And she also, Gia also yells that at him at, at Atticus the first time they get together and she's trying not to reveal her tales to him and streams that at him to get out. Yeah. And, and Gia has a very, again, this could be the naivete of the Camille, but she has an interesting view of what America is because it's all painted by Julie Garland in movies versus what America actually is versus the reality of America. Mm-hmm. And, and we see those, again, we talked about it during the date, the speed dating scene and, and other places, but you see those disparities pop up where, um, you know, it's like, is it because, again, you're naive to it or you just don't want to see the truth? No, I think that's definitely one of the signs of her not knowing the reality mm-hmm. of Well, the everybody, world. I mean. Depending on the character, is it naivete or is it because they want to hide the truth? For her example, yes. She just doesn't know. But in Atticus' example, he's running from the truth. Oh, yeah. But also, like, I feel like that's a normal-ish thing about people being, mm-hmm. like, ignorant of cultures. Because they'll be like, because she was saying it kind of like, do you, have y'all met Judy Garland? Like, they're Americans. Of course they've mm-hmm. met Judy Garland yeah. kind of thing. Because mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I know that's happened before, like, in like the US like for people like even from like different states where just like if I came to New York and was like, Do y'all know um freaking the Warner Nas? Brothers? Like do you know yeah. how to you know Nas? You know Jay Z? Yeah. Like how do you well, know they say the black people, right? Do you yeah. know? Or are you Beyonce? Like if <laughs> now I will say I can give you a quick anecdote. This happened to me when last year I went over to Thailand. I stopped by in Japan, I stopped by in Vietnam, and in Vietnam you would have thought I was like the biggest celebrity that was on screen. I was just at the VMAs or something like that because in this kind of touristy area, a bunch of Asian tourists asked me to take pictures with them. Mm-hmm. So my friends have pictures of me taking pictures with them because they would just come up to you and, you know, they do the whole thing about wanting to touch your hair and all that other stuff. No, but uh, just, just that idea of just cultural differences and everything being foreign. 
to the foreigners is is, is uh, something to make a note about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, something that I did want to talk about on this episode, I think we really need to talk about is this relationship. And I think y'all really can touch on this because I've talked about a lot about the relationship between fathers and sons and patriarchal society and how that influences us. But in this episode, we really get into mamas and daughters, you know, Uma and her daughter. And, um, you know, I thought both of them was trifling. So I want to know how y'all <laughs> felt about G.I. and Soon-He's relationship and, you know, how that relates to just mothers and daughters and how yeah. they really F you up because they say, you know, like uh, Young's, uh, her homie said to her, it's like she wants you to be something that you're not. Yeah. I personally see Gia less on the trifling side, to use that term, simply mm-hmm. because um, she was forced into this. Like, I don't think Gia Prime asked to be imbued with the <laughs> demon spirit of the Kumio. Um, this was her mother summoned her. I don't, I, again, I don't know the back, they didn't share that back story. Maybe there was a conversation between the two, and her mom was like, yo, this is for the best. Let's mm-hmm. do it. Or for all you know, her mom's like, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. So, I, I, that's the only reason why I say just less trifling in this fact that she kind of didn't have a choice. She's just this this demon spirit just doing what's necessary and doing what her mom tells her. That said, that their relationship is it's incredibly complex and it's a lot of things that you question. Uh, you know, Soon he is her mother. She ain't right. Just just one. The understanding of wanting to avenge her daughter, but in that way. Uh, her mom saying, yeah, she knew the the consequences and all that stuff, but what lengths would a mother go to avenge their child and daughter to the point of you summon a whole spirit in them? I feel like there's a difference between, like, the mother choosing to, like, take the power and avenge the, her daughter on her own versus making the daughter be the avenger of her own, like, rapes, right? That her thinking. mother put her in a power, like, that's the power shift there. Yeah. Um, and I think that like at the end we see the mother say, like, I wanna I'm willing to pay the price or whatever, but I don't so I don't know if there was a difference in like the initial discussion that she had with the um with the McBang um mm-hmm. about like who was going to bear the cost. Um like maybe the initial time she was like, Oh yeah, like my daughter could like I think I'm wondering how much she knew, like when she went to her, did she say? Did the lady say, "This is what's going to happen"? Boom, boom, bam. This the the spirit's going to take over your daughter, and then this is how we're going to how it's going to happen. Or did she have a choice and like who was going to get what? I just wonder, what, and, and I want to know what made her go. What was the final thing that made her go to the woman? Because it seems like it gone on for most of her life. So what mm-hmm. was the so did she die? Is that why the Kumie was able to uh, come into her body? Because the girl was basically dying? Like, where? how did mm. it happen? Like, what, What? like, catalyzed all of this happening? Y'all giving a lot of credit to soon he is, all I'm saying. And, like, <laughs> my, 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 like, my thing is, like, if you wanted to avenge your daughter, why not take the spirit into yourself? That's what it I'm saying. Like she could, I don't she know. Could've put not, she could have put 90 bodies her on herself. To do that? Did the lady give her the option? Like, how did it happen? Right. I, I I think she put that on her daughter because she was scared. I think she you put know. on her daughter. So I so I we said all that towards my initial point was to say I think soon he's the trifling one. Mm-hmm. I I, yeah. I think at the end of the day the onus falls generally ninety eight percent on her. Um, yes, while while Gia has her her moments, I just I she's she's the victim in a lot of this. At least that's the way I saw her. 
Um, and, and that woman you were mentioning, Portia, you, you, that you referred to, the, the Mudang, which is the Korean female shaman. Uh, and they are known to perform ceremonies in local villages to like do things like cure illness, bring good luck or good harvest. They can banish evil spirits and demons. They can ask for favors from the gods. And of course, they can also communicate with ancestral spirits, nature spirits, and other supernatural forces. Yes, yeah, so I feel like whenever like shaman people come up in like K-dramas, most of the time they're tricks. That's why I'm like so questioning a lot of things. Because most yeah. of the times when they show up, they're tricksters. And you mm-hmm. have to know how to word your stuff if you want to get the things you want to get. So mm. I'm not saying I'm not giving to Suhili leeway. I'm just wondering okay. what happened because yeah. you got they're kind of like gene, like Jin or genies or whatever. You can't mm-hmm. just say a thing. You got to think well through what About you're how trying you to express, how you're going to get your yeah. thing. Yeah. I, but I, I think soon he was like, oh, okay, you know, you'll put this spirit into my daughter. The spirit will collect a hundred bodies on that fox swap, and then I'll get my daughter back. So she was just like, oh, okay, you know, that's not too bad. But then when she's scrubbing up blood from the 95th one, she's like, God damn, fam. Like, <laughs> well, okay, well, maybe this was a little bad. But when Gia was getting close, <laughs> she seemed happy as she was scrubbing. She was like, all right, just two more. No, yeah, she was but just still, like, almost there. <laughs> but then when but, but when Gia started dropping that game or that knowledge on her, like, oh, I'm not your daughter. You know, yeah. your daughter's gone, yeah. fam. And, you know, then, then I was like, well, you know, that's the thing. It's also like that, you know, if, you, if someone tells you you'll get your daughter back after 100 dudes die, you'll be like, all right, fine, because you'll do anything for your daughter, right? But then once you get to 98 and you're like, wait a minute, this woman has absorbed 98 other people. Is my daughter really still in there? You know, all that other stuff. It's like. But I feel you know, like the way I took it was the price way. Is too high. <laughs> the way I took it was that like the mother like did not like the they had to try the conversation. The conversation was, OK, now she's a Kumio. The only way for you to get your daughter. Like, I feel like you probably went to the shaman woman was like. I want my daughter the way she was before what happened. I mm-hmm. want my daughter back. And that's the way she phrased it. Because this is this person who's been traumatized, who's been raped. That's not my daughter. She dissociated from her own daughter. Mm-hmm. And I think that the shaman woman was teaching her a lesson by making her daughter Kumio. Mm-hmm. Not the daughter herself, but soon she's teaching Suhi a lesson by saying, mm-hmm. like, dissociating her daughter from being her daughter because of a rape and a, or a continued rape or whatever. She's saying, she's like, well, now she's a Kumio, and that's completely like, if you want to dissociate from your daughter, let's bring a whole supernatural being into this kind of thing. I think it's like, it's a, you got to think about like the lesson being learned and who's learning it and like mm-hmm. how the shaman comes in to be the trickster spirit to make that lesson be taught or whatever. And that's how I was taking it. I was taking it as she asked for the wrong thing. She messed up her daughter in multiple ways throughout this process. And now she's um, like, unfortunately realizing that her daughter is a whole other person that she can no longer tell this and that to. Her daughter is going to make her own choices. And she's coming to the unfortunate realization of she's never going to get that daughter back. And she's now just not realizing it way too late. And instead mm-hmm. of trying to build up her um, relationship with her daughter, she's just like trying to push her daughter to be someone she never will be, which is we see um, young mm-hmm. Jaw say to her and kind of like helps her build like um, Ji Young kind of like come into her own like thinking about it. Because um, young Jaw talks to her in a way like you're never going to be the person that your mom wants you to be. And you got to like kind of make your like rest with that, like you know, let it go. Um, so that's what I took from it. It was like, it's kind of like a lesson learned kind of thing around the yeah. board. Yeah, I agree with you on that, Portia. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's just something that, you know, all parents do to their kids is want them to be something they're not. And then a lot of parents, you know, when that doesn't happen, they get upset and they try and force them into it. And Montrose's father. Yep. Montrose himself. Beating, beating the gay out of him. Yeah. Ugh. Montrose then, himself and how he treats Atticus. Yep. And speaking of Montrose, I think we should talk about um, something that will live in infamy on this show is me butchering the Count of Monte Cristo because I referred to it or I mixed it up with the cast of Amintadalo, uh, which are two different books. And <laughs> yeah, so of course, of course, this being 2020, this book has to come back up again on this show. <laughs> And so I am left to play myself or at least explain myself because Montrose, one of the ways that he connects with G.I. is through the use of this book, The Count of Monte Cristo, which is a book written by Alexandre Dumas, a French black man. Yeah. And this book is considered to be one of the foundations of literature. And it's funny how I personally never knew that it was written by a black dude. Neither did I. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've I've never seen a picture of Alexandra Dumas. Uh, I wonder why. Uh, and I always call them Dumas or Dumas yep. because you know I'm a stupid American. But Dumas, uh, since it's French. But I I was once again. This show is showing off Black history that we mm-hmm. don't get taught in normal regular school, primary school. So here we are. Yep. But the plot of this book, which I butchered in the, that episode that was going named, it centers on a man who is wrongfully imprisoned, escapes from jail acquires a fortune, and sets about exacting revenge on those responsible for his imprisonment. His plans have devastating consequences for both the innocent and the guilty. And so this is uh, Montrose's favorite book, and Atticus isn't sure whether it's his favorite book because of the story, which it seems to be Montrose's life story and a lot of people's life story, but also because it's written by a black man and he sees that history in it. Uh, but one idea that I just thought was so ill is the final thought from the book uh, that I got from Wikipedia is all human wisdom is contained in these two words, wait and hope. And that just wow. feels like that can be applied to oppressed people worldwide. And it's something that we constantly do, whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing to do, is that we sit waiting and hoping for change, you know, a lot of times. And also, not even just the waiting and hoping, but we have faith. You know, and that's something that is something that we do need is to have this faith. You know, it's that hope and that faith for a better world. Oh, but there's there's also some stuff you can do besides hope and faith. Yeah. Yep. What vote. is that? What is that then? Get out and vote right now, you know, and work in your community, et cetera. But right now, vote because, you know, it's time to vote. Vote. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, as we see, you know, at one point in 1955, there was no voting for black people. So, you know, we're doing, <laughs> we're doing better now. <laughs> As we're winding down to the themes of the episode, another one that popped up that was actually a carryover from episode five, Strange Case, the themes of transformation and also in in this episode, death. Uh, In the opening scene uh, in Gia's house, she has a dresser that is covered in butterfly designs. We saw the butterfly Mm -hmm. appear multiple times in the previous episode with Ruby um, you know, <laughs> in her Zoloft commercial, uh, just just the idea that butterflies represent transformation and change, uh, and and new with the old, old with the new, and and so on and so forth. Uh, butterflies come up again in the children's song that Gia sings, which is actually a, a, a real life traditional Korean children's song. It's called Nabia. Um, Gia herself being a Camille, that is that's a transformation within itself, as as you see multiple times during the episode. Um, 
this the idea of Atticus being nothing more than than a nigga in America, but this man of power, sass soldier, when he goes into the army and goes across the seas. Um, and even from a simple standpoint, the, the, the aspect of, of when we were talking about Gimjang and, and the process of making kimchi, kimchi is actually cabbage. And mm-hmm. that is a transformative process. Um, you know, depending on how you do it, it can take many days or a few weeks. Um, and, and that's that's something to, to add there. Uh, and then this, this last point, when we talk about transformation, when we think about war and what it turns people into or what it makes of people, mm-hmm. um, we, we explain how, you know, how, Atticus, like I didn't like Atticus's character in this because he was just this, to me, this heartless monster. And I think war is like that's more of not even the butterfly. It's more of like what we were talking about last episode of the locust and the molting. I think Atticus, yeah, it's just what you are beneath, you know, Atticus. Like I always said that about prison, like it didn't make me anything that I wasn't already, you know, and I wouldn't let it change me into anything I wasn't already because I've. It's like, I'm not going to come out of this experience any different than I was. I might grow from it, but it's not going to make me less of a man. And I think the war is just more revealing for Atticus where it just shows you who he was. You know, he had that violence inside of him. He said it. He's like, I didn't know this was in me, but this showed me that it is in them. It's just that molting, you know, it's just pulling off the skin. Snakes, you know, monsters. (laughs) I just love how Atticus says monsters. (laughs) Every time the monsters. Leave his nineteen fifties accent. Yeah, monsters. Yeah, I love it. Uh, <laughs> uh, and and w- the one of the final themes uh, or, or or subjects that we're going to mention just just again about Atticus and Gia and their relationship, which I found highly weird and suspect. And even Gia <laughs> commented on it. She was like, "This is the first of all." She saw. I almost called him macho, but she saw Atticus brutalize her her nurse uh, colleagues when they the nurses was brought over to the base when the the army men realized that they had a communist spy in their midst mm-hmm. and and they started indiscriminately shooting the nurses. Um, at one point, when the first I don't know the guy's name, when the first army person shot aggressive sergeant aggressive sergeant aggressive sergeant 10 shot one of the nurses uh and then he he was going for the next one ran out of bullets he called atticus over and atticus without hesitation point blank gone and this was the same nurse that was sitting next to gia so gia got the blood splattered all over her and 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 you know it was point blank so you know she the sound like basically i'm mentioning all this because there's a lot of ptsd there just Mm -hmm. as a a victim and also like all the, the victim, the, 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 the areas of victimhood that Gia is going through, but also the fact that she is kind of a, an unofficial prisoner at that point. Mm-hmm. But also I, then, I just wanted to note that I thought it was interesting that they made the black men be the perpetrators in this one. Mm. Like they're just as guilty as their white unit mates or whatever for like, committing war atrocities and so it wasn't mm-hmm. like just like oh like black men just got in the war and they just happened to like have to do this and that thing like they had the same bs yeah. like line of i was just following orders as the white soldiers do so it wasn't like like people of color are just as guilty as perpetrating like major like atrocities as any other people are it's a system the system is the problem that's what i'm saying the system fucks up everybody yeah towards uh ben towards your 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 kind of your through line of men are trash um 
just the fact that they were normalizing the violence against women through throughout mm-hmm. the episodes, like obviously with the with this display of brutality, but even when when Atticus's uh, Korean American soldier friend was bringing Gia to the tent when 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 Atticus was showing Gia that movie, and it was it was a guise, but the but the way that that guise worked where. The soldiers were kind of whistling at Gia and the you know the Korean soldier was like the Korean American soldier was like, Oh, when I'm done with her, y'all can have her if she can walk. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, and again, that's that's the language that's used to be that to fit in and to be normal, but that normalization that keeps happening all the time in that patriarchy, mm-hmm. it's it's a lot. It's also like uh, Portia was talking about the flags earlier. That was a big flag was when uh, G.I. was in the hospital and her arm gets twisted behind her back. Yep. And she reacts like nothing is, you know, okay, that's cool. You know, mm-hmm. the, the G.I. the G.I. cussing them out and calling them all sorts of names. I mean, cussing oh. them out while they are saving his life, literally. You want to get out. You want to talk about comedy. Oh, man. When the G.I. is sitting there smiling at G.I., you know, and she's looking over at him, and the next thing you see is her mom strubbing up the blood and the GI's clothing <laughs> sitting on the bed. Oh, they infinity oh. faded him. <laughs> oh, I rolled. I could not stop laughing. Oh my god, <laughs> that was, yeah. that's some directing choice right there. I, was, I really liked that too because it was like after all the toils she went through trying to get like Korean men to date her during the speed dating, it was that easy for her to <laughs> yeah, get it was that easy to on the street. <laughs> Just great point, Portia. Yeah, very quick. Quick and easy. Stupid American. Uh, yeah. Um, wrapping it up, we need to talk about uh, Gia's visions that she had when she put the eye... Um, the eye of Sauron. Yeah, the eye of, yeah, the eye of Sauron on that. Oh, that was like the eye of Azamoto. Like, she just sees into the time. Yeah. Sight beyond sight when she hit him with the um, Sword of Omens. And so... G.I.C.'s Atticus is a child with his mother looking up at the sky. Atticus reading at night with the flashlight, which was like, oh, that's me. Like I was saying, <laughs> all of these visions that she had of Atticus were all me, other than the, you know, tit being beat by Montrose. <laughs> that was me. Uh, I, I was not Dr. Freeman DDS as Tick was torturing her friend, oh uh, pulling out them teeth. Yeah. Um, and then for upsetting for the Leticus fans out there, I'm sure this whole episode was, but Atticus was also, you know, clapping them cheats with another woman right. in what must have been Florida. It, it must uh, have been. We I, we figured that out after the next vision. It was funny because yeah. when that first popped up, I thought... I was like, oh, this nigga lying about being a virgin. I thought... Remember, we don't know this yet. We, up until damn near the end of the episode, you think Camille powers only show you memories. Things that like, already happened. me ass nigga. So, right, you see... <laughs> This, this image of Atticus sleeping with another woman, you're like, this nigga was lying. He wasn't a virgin. Early, early in the episode, when he has relations with Gia, he says he's a virgin. Yeah. And Gia's like, like, I'm not. So, <laughs> quit fast with it. Don't worry about that, fam. I got 90. Don't worry about yeah. it. I got you. You're like, no, 99. I got 99 problems already. Don't worry. Lord. Um, so, yes. So, yeah. Yes, continue. So, so and but, then don't, but, but at this point... Going. We yeah. found out that the powers are also allow her to see the future because, yes. as you say, he the image is of him sleeping with another woman, presumably in Florida, and then he goes to Chicago. Going to Chicago, and then another scene of him being what seems to be being baptized, yes, which when seems to have happen? happened after him going to Chicago. So that might still be in the future from where we are right now. 
Because we see another shot of Letty, but we don't know where that is. Like, she's looking. And Letty, the way it looks, Letty's, like, peering over him. Like, if he's laying mm-hmm. down. Yep. And then we see him in some sort of device. And then like we see Atticus, down. yeah, what seems to be laying it down in that device. You know, buying the farm, as they say. Die. die. Which goes back to what we saw in the Latin Strange Taste, where Atticus figured out the words die. Went back, made his toilet call, called a friend, phoned the lifeline, and Shorty was like, "Yeah, I told your ass not to go home." You know, <laughs> oh, like, you when, know, I got you know, I got nine tentacles, Negro. You know, you should be listening to me at this point. The only thing about these phone calls that keeps getting me is where's the phone? Like, yes. again, we know Gia may not be home or whatever, but where where else is the fuck he's calling? Like, they don't got they don't got cell. He's like, there's no burner phones in 1950, so. <laughs> Like you got to be home, right? The, like you call up the operator, you give them the numbers, woom thee woom, and maybe they connect you nine, to, maybe one, to a particular location. Where is she? And, and she has phone? to, and she has to have it near her because there's never like right. a pause. Like someone's like, "I'll go get her." Like she's she literally the always the first person to answer the phone. And no matter maybe, when Tick calls her, she picks up. Yeah, so where the maybe fuck the is, nine, she? is she waiting by the phone? Maybe the nine tentacles are like a phone line, you know what I mean? And she dialing it right into the ear, like she got that built-in Bluetooth. Annalise Keating leaving that gift. <laughs> Hit me on the tentacle. <laughs> oh gosh. So yeah, that that rounds out most of our analysis of this episode. Um, you know, again, that last point of of that word die. Uh, it makes sense now why he called you. And mm-hmm. we'll now now that everything's full circle. Perhaps we will be moving forward in the next episode of exact. Maybe he will. She will try to explain to him again what she is because she she did once once he uh, when she gave him the ISR run and and scared the shit out of him. He ran out the room before she could explain what she was. She also read the book to him, trying to hint like, "Oh, this is me. Uh, here's the story of Kimo. Like, in case you ain't getting it, right? But I mean, you got a woman. I mean, you can't. <laughs> I know, but you can't hint that. Like, oh, nah, I, I'm a nine tailed demon. But I mean, yeah. like, you gotta. But it's also like it's not any Western canon, so she has to read him the fairy tale because it's like I know you ain't never heard about this before in your life. So let me yeah, get you the yeah. kids. Watered down version, so you feel <laughs> a little I'm better. gonna try to clue you in. I'm gonna try yeah. to help you understand. But it's like she, it's like she probably sat and thought, how could she get him to understand who she was? <laughs> there's there's so she no clean way. <laughs> there's no clean way to explain to someone. You got nine tails that come out of your body, including your eyes, your ears, and your nose. And no. your hoo-ha and everywhere else. There's no clean way to explain that to anybody. But it's, no it was no. interesting that like. It's just like the same night that she's planning to tell him who she was is the same night that she can't she can't control her Camille powers no more and Mm-mm. things almost that just breaks it off for them. It's like an interesting kind of like was she too close to the truth of herself for her to like control herself at that point anymore? Mm. Or, or was Atticus just finally laying down that you know? I mean, the way that he did Letty, I don't know that first time. I'm not sure if that's a indicator of his. Huh. Let's let's put it out there. Atticus has been having tons of sex during this series so far. Facts. He he has not had. He he doesn't seem to go without it. Not not for too long. Mm. Um, a lot of the Easter eggs inspirations. Again, we mentioned Judy Garland and and the movies of that time. Uh, in the beginning, in the opening scene, we have the trolley song playing, which is from Meet Me in St. Louis. Uh, we have the Easter parade, which is in the second theater scene. Um, we have the summer stock movie, which is the movie Atticus is playing for GI during their date in the tent. Um, and 
music-wise, uh, we mentioned Bessemi Mucho at the club scene. Um, there is a voiceover at the very last scene when Jia and her mom are going back to the Mudang, the, the Korean shaman woman. Um, it's, it's the voiceover is of Judy Garland in her later years. Um, people say that like at that time she started recording a series of like rants and other thoughts, which is supposed to be for a book she was writing about her time in Hollywood and how Hollywood is trash, but it never came out. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, we will link you to that video if you all want to watch Judy Garland. We were here, Julie Garland speak, but, um, it's, it's pretty poignant. Um, mm -hmm. What does it, what specifically does she say? She says, "Oh, the things that people write about me are untrue," mm -hmm. and, and and kind of that idea of people having these views of who you are as a person that are not, or people making up stories that may not be the case, whether they're doing it for hateful reasons or otherwise. And like they kind mm -hmm. of like obscure whatever good she's done with all yeah. the bad mm -hmm. stories. Yeah. And also the idea of these people calling her the monster and making her out to be the monster because that's what they did in Hollywood. They always made it where she's a difficult actress to work with, even though, like, even on that last film, she went to a hypnotist, uh, Summerstock. She went to a hypnotist and had to lose 20 pounds. Damn. Yeah. She was to, always know, losing, um, like, mass amounts of weight to be in different yeah. roles. But it's all, it's all nonsense yeah. because she never needed to. It's just that, you know, idea of them making her the monster and the Part in that speech that hit me the hardest was when she's like, who are they? They're dead people. And they're trying to kill me. But by God, they won't. You know, and mm -hmm. to find out that, mm -hmm. you know, Ju Judy passed away at, uh, Miss Darling passed away at 47 years old, you know, due to all this nonsense. Yeah, alcoholism. But, she went through a lot. But she still lives forever, you know, through her work and stuff. And so, yeah. by God, they wouldn't kill her. So that was really, you know. Yeah. Beautiful. Death follows everybody, all of these characters, including Jia, because the last thing that she is told from the shaman is, you are going to see countless deaths before your journey is done. Mm -hmm. You haven't even become one with the darkness yet. And I feel like we have not seen it yet when it comes to Lovecraft Country. This is episode six. We have four more to go. Uh, and I think there's going to be a lot more deaths. I'm hoping a death that occurred a little bit earlier gets reversed. Uh mm. Uncle George, Lord Jesus, please bring him back. But um, yeah, um, <laughs> I would like to Lord. see Yahima come back. Is I like to re like I don't know. I just they feel like fucked up with Yahima. They fucked doubtful. up with Yahima, but uh, that's <laughs> doubtful. But yeah, um, but you know, again, lots of departures from the book, um, but but also some interesting interpretations of of different scenes in the book. Um, that is it for this episode for this week. Thank you very much for joining us. And if you want to support us further, besides just listening, you listening is amazing. Make sure you're telling everyone else to also hit play on this podcast. But also, you can visit our Tee Public page. That's tpublic.com slash for all nerds. And you can pick up your for all nerds and the Safe Negro podcast merch. So I'm wearing it for those watching. I'm wearing my Safe Negro podcast show. Um, ben is actually wearing a sweater from Lovecraft Country. Um, Established actually, 1953. That's what it said. Yeah, 1955. Yeah, this actually the Black Futurists yeah. uh, scientist organization that's on the back. Shout out to Black Market Vintage who made yeah. this sweatshirt. Black owned by, company. There we go. Buy black owned. Black yeah. Market Vintage. Thank you very much. Yeah. So if you want to support another artist there, and like I said, make sure you're supporting For All Nerds. You can follow us on the interwebs. You can follow this podcast as a whole at Safe Negro Pod. You can follow me at Tatiana King, where can they find you, Ben? DJ Ben, I mean. And Portia? 
uh, at poor underscore she <laughs> underscore uh. I want to take Every the underscores week. out at some point. I want to take it out, but right now. Every week never fails. So. <laughs> <laughs> also, make sure you're following For All Nerds yes. on all platforms to get this podcast in your ear holes and not tentacles. <laughs>